0: Three, two, one. From down in the Dirty Bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only Mustard Buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Welcome back, everyone another episode of Buzzer Dreams. It is Tuesday night, August 23rd. We are, Pat, how many days away are we? Are we 10 Um, days away? 11, right? 11 days away. That's right. We will be 10 days away. When you're hearing this. That's right. When this episode is released. Yeah. Could be you listening to this the day before. Uh, We'll have another episode out by then. We are weekly from here on out. That is the plan at least I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter, at Buzzardry Pods, where we will put all of the necessary updates for the podcast to so follow along on Twitter. I think it's, there's still a, a prompt to go follow the, the Facebook page <laughs> on, our, on our outro. I will eventually put us uh, on Facebook. For right now, it's just Twitter, at Buzzardry Pod. My name is Ben Milam, and I'm joined with my partner in person, Patrick McGee. Pat, how are you doing on this Tuesday evening?
1: Glad to be here on this. Yeah, back in person. Uh, been raining a lot, but uh, glad to be back in person here.
0: That's right. A lot of rain, a lot of audio issues. We recorded last week. Patrick tweeted it, uh, but in case you didn't see that, we recorded last week. Same thing happened the week before, uh, but basically the audio was unusable. So, crossing our fingers, hoping that uh, it is no longer an issue now that we are in person. Hopefully it sounds better again. And, uh, man, it's just... Good to be back in person. Good to uh, have a little football to talk about, Pat. We'll talk. Uh, we'll touch on uh, fall camp. What we saw, I guess more particularly what I saw on uh, the tail end of fall camp. They finished Saturday. Uh, last Saturday was the last day of fall camp. It was a scrimmage. I did not get to make that, but we've been putting out a lot of great stuff on biggoldnation.com That reminds me, this episode. Of Buzzardry as usual is sponsored by BigGoldNation.com. That is B I G G O L D N A T I O N.com. It is the premier inside source for all things Southern Miss Athletics, particularly if you're a football fan. A lot of great content coming out lately, more to come as we near
1: the season. Pat, what have you heard at a fall camp? Well, yeah, I guess the uh, the big thing ending uh, the scrimmages on um, I guess the last yeah like I said the last one was on Saturday was sounds like Ty Keyes had a huge day. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he had a couple big pass plays. Uh, had at least one to Caston because uh, Bradley had sat out, so I don't mm-hmm. had sat out, so he didn't have any yum. That's what I'm trying to think. With Caston, he at least had one of those big plays, and so that was the thing that caught my eye. Is you know you, you had kind of seen Keyes reports of him being up and down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, scrimmage on Saturday it really sounds like it was one of those updates. In fact, I think Hall mm-hmm. said it was his best day, the offense's best day. So that was something that I was kind of you know we talked about the two things. Uh, I mean, the two big keys to the season are your passing game um, and your offensive line, yep. You're up, particularly your ability to pass block. Yep. Um, so yeah, th- those were the two things. So with Keys having those big that big day, that it gives you some confidence um, heading into next week's game against the Liberty. So that was kind of the thing that caught uh, my attention from the various reports from people uh, that have been covering the um, fall scrimmages and fall practice.
0: Yeah, I think it was Dima Mixon who, who tweeted out has been doing a great job. All the student Prince guys doing a, a really, really great job of uh, covering all of the things that they're covering, doing a, a really, um, doing really well done journalism. So just a quick shout out to those guys. it uh, been fun getting to be around them. But Dima, Dima tweeted, I think, he started the scrimmage three for three for 205
1: yards. And yeah, two Yeah, and when I first saw that, I thought that was a typo. I was thinking, unless he hit like, I was thinking, well, unless he had a couple 70 yard plays, and then he later clarifies, like, yeah, he had like at least two mm-hmm. or maybe three 70 yard uh, plays that, yeah, for touchdowns. So that was, uh, that would explain that.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, I, I think I've said this before, maybe the last episode when we were talking about a few things on fall camp. It's so. Difficult to really draw anything significant from fall camp outside of individually because, you know, years stat like that. Obviously, you get excited about your young quarterback and feel like you know maybe he's he's starting to hit a stride, and uh, you know he, here in his second year in the system and get some confidence at the tail end of this his second fall camp. But then some people ask, okay, are people just going to be able to take the top off of our defense right. all day long? You know, it, it's. uh, it's hard because you're playing against uh, the same side every day, and and obviously, you know there there are some things you can take out of it, which which we'll talk about. But yeah, I, I think any way you shake it, you got to be encouraged with the way that Ty Key's played on Saturday. It's had some shaky days. It's had some really good days. The key with Ty, as it has been since he's gotten on campus, as Well Hall has talked about this, is consistency. Can he consistently? manage the offense and avoid the game-breaking mistakes and he did that in spots last year but then he would have a game-breaking mistake or would be you know you could call it a forced mistake due to a breakdown of pass protection Uh, that's that's one thing we'll talk about expect the offensive line um, to improve I, I think from what I've seen but um and we'll go into a little further detail on that. But yeah, just the way that Ty has come along this particularly the last week of fall camp. And I think he had they gave him a day off today. And I, I it feels like the coaching staff is starting to get more comfortable
1: and confident with Keys as your clear starter. Yeah, I think and you, you kind of look at the keys to the two big things that I was kind of looking for. Um, heading into this year for him, were just kind of the accuracy uh-huh. and uh, the ability to make progressions. I just remember that game against Troy. Um, that was kind of a question of accuracy, I mean, there was a couple balls where he, I mean, he honestly threw a, you know, like a hundred mile power hour fastball, and it was, you know, just needed like it was just like an intermediate throw, and it um, missed a couple right. guys through that way. So just kind of, um, yeah, looking for the accuracy, the ability to, you know, read the field, look for your second read, your mm-hmm. third read. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Hall said it, or just kind of reports, and from listening to Hollis, I don't think he made an improvement, improvements on that regard. But, yeah, I mean, you don't really know until, you know, you start facing somebody that isn't you. Mm-hmm. And that's like you're saying, people now say, well, the offense is looking good. Well, maybe the defense isn't as good. And right. then, you know, the defense can have a good day. Well, the offense is very good. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the um, thing about fall scrimmages and fall camp. is just – it's kind of hard to make any kind of judgment just because you're playing against um, yourself. So that's kind of – the uh, anticipation for Liberty game. What improvements have you made uh, over the uh, over this last year, over the offseason, and uh, how much of it have you made? So that's kind of what uh, everybody's kind of looking forward to on Saturday. Yeah, that's,
0: that's one of the, the positives of, of playing a, a capable opponent, not just running out there against a swag team. You, you, you sort of immediately measure yourself, and I think that was true of the South Alabama game last year where you saw some of the glaring issues that would – continue throughout the 12-game schedule. Last year, I think that'll be true of this year, too, uh, with hopefully a lot more positives this time around. Liberty, obviously, will be favored, and and we're going to go down the full schedule uh, here in this episode, and we will look at Liberty in a little further detail next week as well. But uh, Liberty is going to be favored in that game for a reason, and Ty Keyes is going to be immediately tested, as will his offensive line. That's that's, that was the second big question that you hit on uh, there, Patrick. And I think that was the big question for everyone uh, a- after last year. I mean, the coaching staff has not shied away from being very honest about how bad the offensive line was. I think Coach Hall said maybe last week that at times they were pathetic. Uh, that's, that's strong language from your head coach. And they have not withheld that kind of language from their group. Uh, I've gotten to see Sam Greg, the new offensive line coach, Co-offensive coordinator, uh, got to see him coach up close, and really, really impressed with him. Um, I, I think you have seen a pretty immediate—if you've been at practice—pretty immediate change in attitude, the way that those guys have approached the game. Um, very intentional. That's a word that that Coach Greg uses a lot. He used in an interview with me was um, a focus on intentionality, and and there was just there was a lot of breakdown uh, last year and and sort of a lack of technique, a lack of a a lot of things. And you couldn't run the ball. You could not protect the quarterback. And Sam Greg's words, we are not going to struggle this year. Uh, And so I I think that's a big difference as well is he has instilled confidence in those guys. You could say reinstilled whatever they had last year uh, was blown to pieces, I think, in the first two games. And so I, I think... That is, that's one of the big keys is confidence, uh, particularly in this Liberty game. If you can get, it, it doesn't, I don't even think it necessarily needs to be a win, but if you can show that you can consistently move the ball, both in the running and the passing game, and are able to give your quarterback time, I think this, this offensive line, and I think you could say Ty keys will have a little bit of momentum moving into the, the uh, rest of the non-conference schedule. Uh, so, on the offensive line, I mean, it's going to be the same five guys we saw in the spring. Left tackle, Takim Doss. Left guard, Jerquan Scott. Center, still Bryson Mays. Right guard, John Bowling. Right tackle, Paul Gaynor Jr., uh, who I think particularly Paul Gaynor has, has looked really good to me. <laughs> but he's, he's been on the roster for a long time. And, um, you know, you don't necessarily expect a big jump once a guy gets into his third, fourth, and fifth year. But, uh, yeah, Paul Gainer, I, I expect uh, a turnaround season of sorts. He, he's one of those veteran leaders on an experienced offensive line because you bring back pretty much all of uh, your your guys that uh, were in the trenches last year. But that, you know, you could argue, well, that experience was them playing poorly. Um, but it's it's a big deal to have a guy like Paul Gander who's been in college football for five years, and when you are hoping for a turnaround for a unit like the offensive line. Uh, Bryce May has been really impressive at center. He's, he's kind of taken over as a leader, which you love to see from your center. Uh, there was a question of whether Bryce Ramsey was going to push him for the center spot, the transfer out of Ole Miss, and – He's, he's really just locked it down and hasn't really looked back. I mean, it's, he is the clear number one. I think those five have really solidified themselves. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's also made a big difference that they have a little bit of depth behind them because it was sort of a, a carousel of sorts where you're, you're trying to shift pieces in and out and try to find the right equation. Uh, last year... And saw a lot of guys play who weren't necessarily ready to play. Now you have you have some young talent, but you also have some guys who got experience last year who add depth. And you've really got three strings of capable offensive linemen. Some of those guys hopefully will not have to play, and, and those hopefully those five can stay healthy and, and be really good. But I think you have to be encouraged with both reports and from what I've seen. From the offensive line, particularly with with Coach Greg and the direction he wants to take this unit.
1: Yeah, and I think Greg is going to be the key. I think because, mm-hmm. like you're saying, you don't see. I mean, usually after, I mean, it's, a, it's an older group. I mean, you just yeah. look at a lot of fourth, fifth, and even as, I think Gainer is a 6th year guy. Um, so if you see a big improvement in these guys, I think it's mostly going to be because of um, of coaching. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, you talk about Gainer, I mean, he had like. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember if he was fifth or sixth year, but he was a guy out of high school who was a pretty big commit out of uh, I think Gosha. I think he was committed to State for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe they'd bring out a scholarship room or something he ended up here. And, you know, he just hadn't quite panned out. But, uh, you know, this could be, you know, who knows, like finally cloaks for him in his finally your Ellis Billy special tackle there. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing because, you know, we talked about, I mean, the two big old linemen you brought in, I guess that you, you maybe or you, you thought Ramsey was going to come in and uh, contribute, maybe he still could. Um, and then you also brought in McMillan, and he's, I guess, still kind of more project. Maybe you could see him um kind of start down the stretch. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same group. So, I think the coaching is going to be key. Um, and then maybe you get those um, those two transfers. And although, I mean, you would, you know, you said with McMillan's age, he's still kind of, you know, projectable. Um, whereas Ramsey, I guess, is a little more developed just being older. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is – um. Kind of what I'm thinking is, Greg, is um, if, if you see a big jump in the O-line, see a big jump in, uh, in pass protection, I think Greg is going to be you know kind of the key reason for that, um, just based on uh, the roster and the uh, makeup of that line. Right, and
0: it's a, it's a big deal that he and Coach Hall have coached together in multiple spots in West Alabama, West Georgia, and have been really successful here. He was really, really good in both of those spots and was really good at Liberty as well. It was a unit. The game gave up a lot of sacks, but had a, there were a lot of other factors there. But he, I mean, it was sort of a similar story where he really turned around that unit, and obviously that that offense was really good. Malik Willis was a big part of that. There were a lot of really great skill guys, but you cannot turn your head away from the job that Greg did at, at Liberty, and and uh, just the rapport and the chemistry that he and Coach Hall have, which you can say that for most of the guys on staff, I think uh, should lead you to be. It, it encouraged, at least by uh, about the direction of the offensive line. Pat,
1: anything else on uh, fall camp we should touch on? Uh, I think that is it. Yeah, I guess um, you know, all's kind of said transitioning toward Liberia now, so that's yeah. kind of the it would be. Um, What everybody has their eyes on now is uh, that Liberty game. So it's kind of just crazy how fast uh, all season's going, and we're already looking at Liberty print. But yeah, that's right. Well,
0: let's uh, let's take a look through the full twelve game regular season schedule, uh, like we promised you. And again, we will look at Liberty in a little further detail. We'll try to do this fairly efficiently. We are going to give you our game by game predictions and a season win loss total prediction. Through the regular season, uh, hopefully you won't hold us to any of this. I think me and Patrick are in the same ballpark. We have been. I think I've actually, because we have recorded this, I guess twice now. Um, I don't even. I can't even remember how many times we've recorded this. I, I think my my uh, season total and wins has changed. And, oh, okay. Uh, but I'm going to stick with what I did last week that no one heard. So, um, Pat, let's let's jump into this first game. Mentioned they're likely going to be favored. They will be favored yes. uh, in Hattiesburg. There's already an early line. I think it's three and a half. Okay, that's so. that's a little shorter than than I would have uh, expected. I'll I would expect that to go a little more Liberty's way. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's for a reason. Um, they lose a lot, but they also bring back a lot, filled in a lot of gaps. Uh, Charlie Brewer, the Utah transfer, transfer who also uh, really good at Baylor. Uh, has been announced as the starting quarterback, and that is uh, that is going to be a uh, um, big reason for why Liberty is favored in this game, just due to his experience, his success in the past, and also Hugh Freeze's ability to to really mold quarterbacks, particularly transfers. Uh, so, Pat, uh, give me your give your game one prediction against Liberty Flames.
1: Yeah, so I, I think this is going to be a loss. Uh, you look at Liberty; they're seventy. Um and S&P Plus, or I I think I have a reversal, 76, and FPI. But returning production, uh, they only returned 54% of their production, which is 109th in FBS. But I just look, at liberty, they would be, you know, them and ULL, if they were in the Sun Belt West, those would be the top two teams in uh, the division. So, yeah, I mean, they're comparable to the top of the Sun Belt. And I just feel like Game 1, I think Keys is going to get better as the year goes on. I think he's going to, maybe going to struggle early on. Because I mean, remember, he's still basically a, I mean, a freshman. I mean, he is a freshman, red redshirt. But, you know, he, he still doesn't have a ton of experience. So I think he needs to get some game experience. And I think, um, yeah, there's going to be some lumps in Game 1. I've kind of felt like this whole summer this would kind of be a, a slog of a game, uh, kind of a low scoring. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to say Liberty uh, wins Game 1.
0: Yeah, I, I go back and forth because I really feel like I think there are two wins in the non-conference for Southern Miss, and I go back and forth on Liberty and Tulane uh, because I, I do think the Tulane game is a little more winnable, but this is this Liberty game is interesting because it is game one, and there are going to be a lot of kinks to be worked out on both sides. You mentioned Tykee's obviously very – an experience relative to most starting QBs, but you look across the other side at Charlie Brewer, who has thrown for ten thousand plus yards in his career at two different really good football programs. Um, that that alone, I think, uh, gives Liberty the advantage here, and, and makes me uh, think this is a loss for Southern Miss. But I mean, you mentioned, I mean, number one hundred nine returning production returned just fifty four percent of their roster. They. They're going to have a lot to work out as well, um, and you know even though Charlie Brewer has plenty of experience having a new QB in your system, usually are kinks to work out in the early third of the season. But I'm going to give this uh, this prediction to Liberty Southern Miss starts 0 and 1. Then Pat, you roll down to Coral Gables against a uh, really highly thought of team, at least if you look at the early season polls, which is True some of the time. Um, I had somebody say to me the other day, well, yeah, they're they're top 20 of the AP and and the coaches poll, but you know, you could say that of Miami and Notre, Notre Dame every single year. Yeah, and it ends yeah. up not being true 95% of the time. But this this really is a Miami team that should be much, much better than a year ago. I believe they finished seven and five mm-hmm. last year, and there were three games. Three games that uh, they lost by a total of eight points. So that was borderline, I don't know if this is the correct way to say this, but borderline a 9- or 10-win team. Could have been a 9- or 10-win football team and return a lot from that group. Obviously, a new coaching staff with Mario Cristobal. But, I mean, solid QB uh, that you're going to face again back-to-back weeks in the early season, Uh, I think. I think this is not an expected loss, um, but
1: one that would be a, a, a tall order to win, particularly. Well, I mean it. I mean it. I mean it is an expected loss. It's just I guess not a, a guaranteed loss. Like when you go play Alabama, sure. Yeah. Okay. When you go play, yeah. but I loss. Right. there's no guaranteed loss if you're, unless you're playing Alabama. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so Miami, I mean, yeah, like you said, 16 the AP. And then I guess FPI and S&P Plus have a little bit of a divergence on what they think they're going to do. The 29 in S&P Plus, the new update that just came out a couple of days ago. They're number nine at uh, in FPI. Um, so, yeah, this I'm trying to pull up the the uh, blue chip index for this year. Um. Yeah, so it's basically the 15 teams that recruit, that have a, a roster majority uh, that are made up of, uh, Four and five star players. And Miami is on this list. So fifty five percent of their roster is um, is blue chips, or or or, or this incorrect grammar, are blue chips. There you go. So I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. So it, the blue chip index is basically in the in the twenty first century. Basically, no team has ever won a national championship mm. with um, without being a blue chip ratio team. And that's not to say Miami is going to win the national championship. They just meet the lowest barrier to do that, just based on the way they recruit. So yeah, their team. They just, I mean. They've been one of these programs, kind of like a Tennessee or a Nebraska, one of these traditional programs, kind of a blue blood, that's um, struggled over the last 15 years. But it's, it's by far the best roster you're going to see all year, um, obviously on the road. Um, and then, Yeah, so this game, I would just put the line to be maybe 20, 25 in that range. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is toughest game of the year. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, not playing Alabama. Yeah. Uh, but it's a game where um, you're certainly going to be big underdogs and one am I'm going to project a loss if
0: it's if it's uh, if the spread is 25. I this a little side prediction. I think, um, I think Southern Miss beats the spread in that. This is a, a team that has you know is sort of a, an anomaly. I mean, in the first year of a coaching staff, not a lot of times you have conference championship level expectations, but this is a group that really does have a chance to compete for a title in the ACC, okay. Then you move into the next week. You get a little bit uh, different look. You come back home and you take on Northwestern State.
1: Yeah, Northwestern State FCS opponent. They went three and eight last year. Three and five in the Southland. And uh, yes, yeah, so the preseason, they're five of eight in that Southland preseason poll. And one of those teams that they're head of is a uh, and Commerce, who's just they're a call up. Uh, so yeah, um, last year they played uh, North Texas. That was their FBS game. Lost by thirty forty-four to fourteen. Uh, so yeah, you Northwestern State. This is uh, they're not a swack level. I mean, they're going to put up more fight than you know a Savannah State or uh, well, I guess Savannah State was meag, but or they'll put up more fight than a Southern University type. Uh, but they're a uh, opponent that is yeah. I mean, this is you said Miami's the toughest game. This is going to be the easiest game you would think on the schedule, just because you know you're playing a kind of a middle of the pack or not even middle of the pack, kind of a toward the bottom of FCS uh, type team. So this is a game. Uh, you expect when going away?
0: Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So, Ole Miss gets their first win based on our predictions. You're now one and two in the hypothetical season and the regular season schedule. Now you round up the non-conference schedule. This one is an interesting game, interesting matchup. You go two to Lane in
1: New Orleans, and also a really good roster pack. Yeah, it is, and this was a they two lane team that went 2-10 and ten last year, but I think they're going to be a bounce back. That made field steals, a bounce back um, list, and they had lost some close games. and So uh, I don't think this is going to be Fritz's best team he's had there. I think that maybe the 2019 team he had that uh, beat us in the, um, in the Armed Forces Well, that might have been his best team. But this team could win more games than any other lane team just because the schedule is pretty favorable. I mean, you look at their non-conference. I mean, they'll probably be favored in three their four non-conference games. I think mm-hmm. Tulane probably uh, be the favorite in this game, unless you know they struggle big time out at the end. USM beats Miami or comes close to it, beats Liberty or something like that. But, um, yeah, this is the Tulane team. They bring back Michael Pratt, good quarterback, and it, uh, yeah, so returning production 34th, uh, 70% of that returning production. They were picked 7 out of 11 in the AEC poll, so kind of middle bottom, uh, lower middle class in the AEC. So, yeah, this is a, I think, Tulane is probably going to be just because it's on the road. Um, I think they're comparable to the Liberty. Um, But just because it's on the road, this could be your second most difficult game of the year, it or Coastal, I think. Um, Kind of uh, in between those is the uh, toughest game behind Miami. But, yeah, I think this is a loss. I think Tulane's got a pretty good year. I think they can win seven, which they have not won seven in the regular season under Fritz. Um, So, yeah, I think, yeah, lose uh, at Tulane.
0: Yeah, I, again, keep going back back and forth on this. I think you know, a lot of people look at Tulane's record last year, two and ten, and, and say, "Okay, this is this is maybe a game we should we should really win, even if it is on the road." But last year was, I mean, with that roster and Willie Fritz, this was this team last year was supposed to be sort of the breakout climax team for Willie Fritz at Tulane, and it just didn't work out that way, obviously. But uh, I mean, it was. Those expectations were there because of the talent on the roster, and I mean, you mentioned the seventy percent returning production. They bring back the large majority of that roster and add a few key pieces, bring in a, a couple of guys out of portal TCU transfer, and uh, that should really help out a defense that struggled uh, mightily. Patrick Jenkins on the defensive line, and also bring back some of the leaders on that defense from a year ago, and so yeah. I think when people look at the two and ten record, it's I mean this this team is much much better at least roster wise. Uh, just a lot of stuff went wrong. I think similar story in some ways to Southern Mississippi's season last year. Michael Pratt did not have a great year relative to the year before that, or really his talent level. So I would expect him to return to that. That being said, I think this is a game where Ty you know, coming at off of the Northwestern State game has some confidence and the offense is starting to find their footing a little bit and the defense keeps you in this game and you win late. So I will say this is the second non conference when you come out of non conference in my hypothetical schedule two and two in yours one and three and you
1: move into the conference opener on the road at Troy. Yeah so Troy is their ninety one in S and P plus and that puts them uh, second in um trying to pull up for schedule, but, yeah, second in uh, the Sun Belt West. And I think Troy could be. I'm trying to see if they play Lafayette at home. Because if they do, I think I'm going to project them to win the West because, uh, let's see. Okay, that's on the road, so maybe they won't win the West. But, um yeah, so I think this is actually a pretty good roster. I mean, you look at that, uh, that I say, at 91 S P 78 FPI. So, I mean, yeah, top 80 in FPI, which is pretty good for a group of five. Uh, nine in returning production, eight bring back eighty percent of their production from last year, um, and then they just big news—they just brought in a transfer, Jared Doge. Uh, I hope I'm probably not saying that right. Um, I don't know if he's going to start right off the bat, but he's a guy with a ton of experience. I think he's a fifth or sixth year guy he's at Western Kentucky, but he'd started a bunch of games at um, West Virginia. I think he first career; he's thrown over over seventy touchdowns, so he is a you know kind of an experienced, uh, polished quarterback. Uh, again, I, I don't know if he's going to start that, um, their opener at Ole Miss um, just because, I mean, he just got there, I think, uh, last week. So, he still starts to learn to play little, But there is um, some, I guess, continuity there just between um, he had been with Neil Brown at West Virginia, uh, John Summerall, the coach, um, new coach at Troy, uh, was on those staffs. Um, he, he was D.C. most recently Kentucky, but he was on those Troy staffs with Neil Brown. Uh, so there is probably some alignment there in terms of just the offense. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, Troy, I think, from what I understand, it's a good roster. They just kind of decayed under Chip Lindsey. And with this game being on the road, I think it's going to be pretty tough, and I think it's going to be a loss.
0: I agree. Uh, they returned ten starters on offense. That does include Gunnar Watson, who started last year. So it does, does take his spot to nine starters. But still, I mean, a lot of continuity offensively. Defense was really, really good last year. Probably going to be the best pass rush in the conference, or at least has a chance to be talent-wise when you look at it on paper. So this is this is going to be a tough one. I think uh, you come out of this one two and three to play your first home game in the Sun Belt against Arkansas State.
1: Yeah, so I think Arkansas State, I think this is a win. You look at Arkansas State, they're one S and 113 FPI. Uh, they bring back 55% of their production. Uh, this is 97th in the country. Um, I think I read somewhere maybe seventy percent of their um, roster uh, freshman and sophomore. so it's a young team. Uh, they're kind of rebuilding this roster. Uh, Butch Jones. Um, I guess we're going to see. I mean, he was kind of he did well at Central Michigan and Cincinnati, but he also benefited from following uh, Brian Kelly at, at those places. And you know, obviously, they do as well at Tennessee, although that's been a dysfunctional program for a while now. Uh, but yeah, I guess quarterback James Blackman, uh, he was, I think, he's a six-year guy. He was at Florida State. He was a big recruit, uh, and he had decent numbers last year. Uh, but yeah, I think Arkansas said, I think this is going to be a team, probably bottom three in the division. I think at home, this is one you win.
0: Really bad
1: defensively last
0: year. A big reason they finished two and ten. Only won two games, and offense wasn't all that great either. I, I do. I don't know if you can call me a Butch Jones believer, but I, I do think they will. Uh, they will improve under him. But I don't know if that's necessarily this year, and I think this is when you feel pretty good about. So I will say Arkansas State is a win as well. Then you take your first trip to San Marcos to take on Texas State, who is one that I think I've seen some people disagree on. I'm uh, projecting them in a, you know six or seven win season and just haven't really been able to get over the hump there. I finished four and eight last year, and – yeah, Jake Spavital really just haven't hasn't really found the formula. Really heavy on the transfer portal, but there are some people who who feel like the pieces have kind of come together, and this this might be a breakout year. But I think any way you look at it, this is a tough game. Yeah, I think this is one of those games where
1: oh, you kind of go when you think, well, Texas State, you know, they're one. Of, I think they're one of two programs in FBS that has not been to a bowl game. I think UMass is the other. So you kind of go in, oh, this would be an easy win, but. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at their S P and P plus 122, 111 at FPI, but their returning production kind of right in the middle of FPS, 68 overall, 63 percent of the roster, or or, or up uh, their production. The production is measured differently from roster, all- basically just kind of the value you create as a player. But but I guess the big thing that's given them hope is um, Lane Hatcher, a transfer from Arkansas State. He, he could possibly be the most accomplished quarterback in this division. I mean, I guess him or Doge if uh Dojins have been a factor for um for Troy. But yeah, I mean he's thrown in his career up for over seven thousand yards, sixty five touchdowns. So yeah, he's an experienced guy. Um and, and in that offense, you kind of a uh, he's from the Holgerson tree, so they're gonna wanna throw it around and, you know, up tempo and that kind of thing. So um yeah, this is um I th- this is a win, I think. But uh Texas State I could see them clicking and maybe winning six or seven finally get to that bowl. And this could be a tougher game than expected, but I think this is—I think this is when Texas. The vibes around Texas State football just haven't been good in the past, I guess, really since yeah. they've gone to FBS. But yeah,
0: I am going to say this is a loss. Okay. I think this is one that um, maybe gets people a little discouraged, and I—I I think. Oh um, no, well, I'm forgetting. gonna Okay, yeah. You're coming off your first. Sunbelt victory and kind of riding high. And this is, uh, I feel like this is where you stumble a little bit. I agree with the sentiment that you, you talked about before we got into the schedule of going to be some lumps. And this is still a, a really young roster. I think people, a lot has been rightfully made of the, the depth and your full 85 scholarships, but still a really young roster, a lot of inexperience. And I think that uh, that sort of plays against you in San Marcos. So I think uh, I think you end up one and two in the Sun Belt in your first three games with a loss to Texas State, and then you kind of get what people look at as is sort of the big one when you look at the schedule uh, on on paper Thursday night, ESPNU against Louisiana, who was thirteen and one a year ago. Uh, probably are not going to win 13 games, but this this will still be a really tough game against a good team.
1: Yeah, so they're uh, favored to win the um, the West by the, um, the preseason poll. S&P Plus has some heights in the West and, and FBI. Uh, yeah, so yeah, 68 in S&P Plus, 74 FBI. But yeah, if we're production, they lose half their uh, value from last year. That's 119 um, in FBS, which is you know bottom uh, 12 or so. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the question is, even though that they've had a ton of success, how does this new staff transition? I mean, DeSormo was the OC, so continuity uh, or continuity there. Um, but, yeah, also a new quarterback losing, Levi um, Lewis. So, yeah, the new quarterback, they just named it a couple of days ago, Chandler Fields. Um, and he's kind of, uh, I guess, kind of a throwback one of these guys. He's a fourth-year player, but he's only thrown 14 passes, so he's kind of waited his turn, uh, didn't transfer, but, yeah, I mean, he hasn't barely thrown any passes in his career. So, he, I mean, he's kind of on that. People remember the uh, Chris Campbell trajectory, kind of a guy who waited uh, yeah. behind a, a longtime starter. Now he's finally getting his chance to start. Um, so, yeah, this is the question. A lot, I mean, a lot of questions with him, just kind of the quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, new coaching or new head coach, and just how do they replace all those guys they lost from last year? But, yeah, I mean, the computers still have him as the favorite, uh, the media still has him as the favorite. And then I think they should be. Uh, Just based on they've dominated this division, I think, until somebody knocks them off the the top, you got to put them on number one in the West. But I I think this is going to be a loss, although I almost want to make it a win. But I think this is going to be one of those heartbreaking losses. I think I'm going to say they're going to kick like a 49-yard field. goal to win by two. It's going to be painful, but uh, it's a close loss. (laughs) Man, I sure
0: hope not. Um, I think coming off of what I predict is a loss to Texas State, I think this is sort of your bounce-back win. I think it'll be a really great crowd on a Thursday night and obviously a familiar opponent. I think the defense really shows up in this game. I think uh, I, I did. I was a little more confident in this prediction because the, the Fresno State transfer, Ben Wildridge, who was uh, battling it out with Chandler Fields for that starting QB spot. Less. Uh, a lot less mobile, more of a pocket passer guy. And Fields is is a little smaller, but a lot more mobile. So they'll probably probably be able to do more things, and he'll be able to escape pressure.
1: He's five eleven,
0: uh, right? Yeah. And so um, you know, he's he's not going to stand there until he finds somebody. He's he has the ability to move and to move well. Uh, but I'm still going to stick with my prediction. I think I think you you get a big win on Thursday night, and it uh, gives you some serious momentum ahead of Georgia State. Back.
1: Yeah, I think Georgia State, this is a sneaky game. I think um, uh, maybe it could be the um, team that wins the East. I think they're kind of sure. a sleeper team in the East. Um, you look at 76 S&P+, 89 F B I, but they return a ton of production, including their quarterback. Um, but, yeah, 77% of their production is 14th in the country. Um, but th- this is a game I, I feel like this is going to be a win. I feel like you're going to lose a heartbreaker against ULL, and you're going to, people are going to be like, well, how does the team respond? I think you come back. Uh, I think you beat Georgia State. A uh, Georgia State team, that yeah, I think it's going to be a good Georgia State team. I think it can, mm-hmm. they can win seven or eight games and compete for the AC division. But I think at home, I think that's going to be the edge. And uh, I said, ULL, you lose on a field goal. I want say this game, you win on a field goal.
0: Uh, oh, like
1: You win on a field goal by three. And um, so, yeah. Might, the, might even go to overtime. When it says, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I'd take that. Take an OT win. Um, mention the defense in. That Louisiana game, but kind of feel like that might be a game where they they uh, have a really good day. They are going to be really, really pressed against Georgia State. I mean, ran the ball very, very well last year and are expected to uh, do much of the same this year. I mean, returned pretty much the entire running back room, the offensive line, and certified big boy quarterback, Darren Granger, he's uh, got the ability to move as well. And so I, I think this is this is a really tough one. Another one I keep going back and forth on. Um, I, I think I'm actually I was I, I think last week I said this was a win, but I'm going to go back on that and say after um, a big one over Louisiana, I think you lose this game, which will put you at five no four and four and five I think four and five. Okay, yeah, three games, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so four and five is where I have us hypothetically. Pat same thing, right? Four and five. Yes, just different way to get there. Right? Yeah, uh, lost to Louisiana for Pat, win for me, and then flip flop on Georgia State as well. Now you head to another really interesting team. I think Grayson McCall back for Coastal Carolina, but similar to Louisiana in that they lose a big, big, big chunk of their roster. And um, I think people would still expect a good year out of them. I think um, I think that's probably spot on. But not, uh, not going to be a team that wins 11 games, I don't think, um, just due to, the, due to the fact of a lack of returning production. But this being on the road, first game in Myrtle Beach, I, uh,
1: I have this as a lost first thoughts, Pat. Yeah, this feels like a pretty tough game. This is one of those games where um, I, I was saying either this or two, and I think it's the second most difficult game on the schedule. But they're 71 SP plus 83 FBI. But yeah, like you're saying, they've lost uh, or they only bring back 42% of their return to production. That's the bottom five in the country. But I think you look at them, I think they're still going to be very competitive. I still think they can win eight or maybe even nine games uh, because you're just betting on that quarterback and that coaching staff. So yeah, Grayson McCall has been extremely efficient. uh, led FBS last year in adjusted yards per 10 passer efficiency rating. Really knows how to run that offense. And so, yeah, I just think McCall and Chadwell is going to make uh, Coastal still really tough, even though they lost a bunch from last year. And I think, yeah, on the road, that um, looks like it can be a pretty tough environment. From some of the games I've watched, I think this is going to be a loss.
0: Yeah, I've talked about Miami and some had some very losses last year. Their two losses, Coastal Carolina's two losses, came by a total of five points, and so they were really, really good last year. And they do bring back some of that, uh, some big. Portal ads as well, that uh, particularly on the defensive line, that should make a difference on the, the, the defensive side. And so, yeah, this is a really tough one. You got that as a loss. We're both four and six headed into the final two games. And another familiar opponent, or has become a familiar opponent, he was your opener last year, South Alabama. It is thankfully in Hattiesburg and bring back a fair amount of returning production. We'll see a lot of the same faces, but. What uh, Coach Womack has done—I mean, he did it last year too—is filled in a lot of the gaps in the transfer portal and has done it really well. And um, some, and I—I I think they—they they get to that six-win mark. They were five and seven a year ago, and and uh, similar to Texas State, just trying to get to that full eligibility hump. And I think they do it this year. But I think Southern Miss wins this game, being at home. And I think you have really started to hit your stride offensively. I think. Uh, the offensive line is, is sort of settled in, and the defense is, I think, once again, going to be your strong suit. And um, I think they give South Alabama, South, South Alabama a lot of trouble in this one, and you pick up your final home victory of the year.
1: Yeah, I think this is a win. Um, South down 109, NSP plus 110 FBI. They return uh, 60% of the production. That's 83rd on FBS, but yeah, I guess the big surprise that was just announced a couple days ago, Carter Bradley transfer from Toledo was in starter. I thought it was gonna be Desmond Trotter. I think that was kind of expected because yep. um, he was a guy um, in the program that had experience. Uh but Carter Bradley, uh decent numbers last year. Toledo I mean he was kind of off and on in, in his career as in terms of just starting games. Threw um had three four touchdowns, one pick, um hundred and thirty attempts last year. I think he was just under thousand yards. He's thrown over uh, he has had over three hundred pass attempts in um, his career, so there's some experience, not as much as some of these other guys we've talked about, like Hatcher or Doge. Uh, but yeah, there is experience there uh, from Toledo. But yeah, I, th- I think this is a win at home, and I think um, this is one you really want to win, just because you don't want to go 0-3 against South Island. I think that w- that's not good for recruiting, um, not good for program morale either, or just fan morale. Um, yeah, so this is one I think if uh, if you're gonna you know get to six or seven wins. Um, which we're kind of thinking is kind of the benchmark this year. I think this is one you got to win. And I think this is one you would win. No Jalen Tolbert is a yeah.
0: huge deal. I mean, yeah, I mean, glad he's playing for the Cowboys. That's now. right. I think I think his total last year, I think he had seven TDs with 827 yards. That's what it felt like in Mobile and that, that first game. Just could not guard him. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be playing ball for a long time. Thankfully, not in Hattiesburg in that second-to-last weekend. So both five and six – Headed into the final game, date with Terry Bowden and Monroe, and
1: uh, another team that lost a big
0: chunk of production, Patrick.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, ULM. Uh, actually, they went 5-7 and seven last year, and they really exceeded expectations because they had gone winless in the 2020 COVID season. Um, I think, you know, people kind of like to make fun of Terry Bowden. He's kind of a meme, but he's a pretty good coach. You know, he's won everywhere he's been from Auburn to North Isle, and, uh, you know, he hasn't won at ULM necessarily. I mean, he went 5-7 and seven last year, but he's exceeded expectations. But still, this is a team 126 S&P plus, 128 FPI. You look at uh, 108 in return production, bringing about 54% of their value from last year. This, this is a game you should win on the road. I think it could be a little trickier. This feels like this feels like one of those games, especially if we're like you're saying, 5-6, and, and you need to win it to get to a bowl. You could feel it being a little closer, maybe you get a little more nervous. It's stressful. Than, yeah, than you should. But I think this is a win. Uh, QB Chandler Rogers, who was on the uh, USM roster there for a short while in the, the Hobson era. Did some good things last year. I think he had a big game at Liberty, uh, but this is this is a game uh, you should win.
0: I agree. I think I think both Southern Miss and Louisiana Monroe are still in the rebuild uh, process, and I, in my biased opinion, I guess I I feel like Southern Miss is a little further yeah. along, and uh, I think they will be particularly at the end of the year. So they're going bowling six and six if if these are anywhere close to being correct. Christmas in Montgomery. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind that at all. So somewhere somewhere that is drivable for the Southern Miss fan base um, would do wonders, wonders for the program. Six and six is both of our final predictions. Uh, Got there a little bit differently, but, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. A lot of winnable games. Even those losses that I think both of us predicted most of those are winnable football games. I think you're going to feel like you have a chance. Um, obviously, you know, things can change, injuries, and yada, yada. Uh, this, these are way too early predictions going all the way down the schedule. Lots can change throughout the season. But uh, looking at it from a glance on this side of starting the season, you see a lot of winnable football games. Six wins, I think you would be ecstatic about.
1: Yeah, I think you look at – I mean, really the only game you feel like you're going to be huge underdogs is that uh, that Miami game. I think that those coastal and tooling games, being on the road, those could be difficult. But those aren't impossible. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you look at six as the benchmark, and I think you look at the ceiling as maybe somehow if everything goes right, you could win eight or nine. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if, if you win that Liberty game, I mean, I think you could win eight because I think Liberty would be one of the best teams in the Sundown if you beat them at home. That proves you can win. You know, go eight and four and compete with the division title. I don't think that's of the takeaway I would have if I would have if you beat Liberty. But yeah, right now I think six and six, and that's where I think the uh, over under from Vegas has it. This uh, said it's six wins as well. So I think that's kind of uh, close to a consensus is the six wins.
0: If the defense holds, you just hold where you were last year. Obviously, really good top fifty total defense. Um, interviewed Coach Armstrong. Early last week, I guess it was. And he mentioned the stat, you gave up 37, 38 touchdowns. It was a, it was the fewest touchdowns surrendered in the group of five. If you can hold that production, Tykes is consistently good. And the offensive line holds up in pass protection. I think you are near that ceiling. I think you have the chance, potential I should say, to win eight games. Uh, but lots has got to go right. And a lot of really good football teams on the schedule.
1: Yeah, I think I think if you look at the end of the year in that S and P Plus, is that is that right? The thirty eight touchdowns is the fewest in, in G five. Is that's, that what? Oh, that's what he told. Oh, okay. I didn't know if Cincinnati had heard that. Maybe that is right. I have to look at that. Um, but yeah, I think if I was uh, telling someone if U S M finishes like just top hundred in S and P Plus offense and the defense stays where it was last year, yeah. um, I think this is a team that could win eight. So yes. I think if just the, if the offense it doesn't even have to be good, just kind of mediocre. I think this team can yeah. win a go or going forward, uh, compete with that. Of it. I
0: agree. That's the question. Quarterback and offensive lines. What we talked about with fall camp. And that is going to be the story throughout the season. Pat, anything else on football? Again, we are going to dive fully into football next week, but anything else we need to touch on here? I think that is it. All right. A few quick ads. Uh, we'll talk about for baseball on the tail end of the off season.
1: Yeah. So, um, the two transfer portal ads, uh, I guess, from August. Uh, or, yeah, I guess they really were in August. But, yeah, um, Luke Trahan, uh, uh, right-hander from Dallas Baptist, and he's a guy who um, hasn't had a great career there, 723 ERA, 198 whip, uh, career 29 walks, uh, 34 Ks, and 37-plus uh, innings over the career. But he's the guy, last year he had 11 ERA, but he was a guy last year, they played... Um, the uh, Rangers instructional team or something like that in the fall. He was up to 98. looked really good. Uh, the Velo was down in the spring, down to 92, 93. Uh, but he has some real reliever traits. He's not going to start, I don't think, um, or have a chance to start. But he's a guy, if Oscar can work the magic and he can click, things can click in his fifth year, I think he'll be a one-year guy. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's a grad transfer because uh, he has the, the COVID year and it wasn't registered in uh, DBU. So, yeah. He's a guy. I mean, just the profile two pitch guy can get up to 98 if he can find that velocity from that he had last year in the fall. He has the traits to start. I mean, it's, or traits to close. Uh-huh. Um, and it's kind of a, a kind of scratch off lottery ticket. It probably won't work. He, um, you know, probably won't get a ton out of him. But if, if you do, I mean, he can be a really valuable part of that bullpen. Sure. Uh, just depending on what Oz can um, do with him. And then um, yeah. Just I guess one more thing. with was top 250 recruit in high school, so he wasn't big. A pretty big recruit out of high school there um, in Texas. I think it's from maybe the Woodlands. But uh, then Chandler Dawson, uh, right hander from Georgia State. He was a guy, uh, kind of a swing guy. Started some games for him, uh, relieved some games for him. Uh, had a 460 ERA this last year, 137 whip. uh are 43 innings, uh, 15 walks, 33 Ks. And he's got a low 90s. Um, and he's a guy who maybe doesn't have the uh, upside um, that Trey Hand does, but I think there's a higher floor um, just because, you know, he. Just the ability to throw strikes. And, um, you know, he, he showed some um, or gave Georgia State some good innings last year uh, there. So I think he was a guy probably, probably not going to start, I don't think, uh, in USM, but certainly a guy that can eat up innings in the bullpen. I think he's a guy maybe long, you know, 25, 35 innings mm-hmm. there and in kind of middle relief. So that's another good add. Just, I mean, you know, it's this old adage, but yeah, you can never have too many pitchers. And I don't think, you know, he's kind of got the fits that. He just, Add another arm of the bullpen, all we could have.
0: Sure. Well, especially due to the fact that you lost five arms in the draft, and that was not uh, expected. I, I don't remember if we talked about that on a recorded episode or a lost episode.
1: I think it was the first, uh the one uh, we did on, on, the, that, yes. on the first. Yes. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Any, I think any kind of talented arm you could bring in at this point, uh, you uh, are going to be excited about. Particularly with Christian Ostrander still as your pitching coach. Uh, hope he can mold those mold those guys into giving you some quality innings to try to replace some of the uh, production that you got from those five arms you lost in the draft. All right, that'll uh, close the book on baseball. Uh, I know people are probably tuning out because it's football season, but uh, that'll close the book on the off season for baseball. Fall
1: baseball, not too far away. We'll we'll talk yeah. about that. Uh, as necessary. Yes, the first actually the first not our uh schedule was released today for twenty twenty three, Southern Illinois. Oh, that's right. They did not have USM on there. Okay. Um, but it just shows you the schedules are being released. We'll start <laughs> putting together scheduling tidbits and we'll as soon as those are uh coming out, we'll yeah. talk about those. But yeah. we'll have our
0: baseball preview episode next week. That's that's a joke memory. Yes. Really. <laughs> uh no we've got a lot of football to go before then and also a little bit of softball news. We mentioned Uh, the fact that there was an opening as the head at at the head coach position at Southern Miss, and we uh, bounced a few names around. But uh, Natalie Poole named the head coach at Southern Miss for the softball program that's tried to find some semblance of consistency for a long time and have not been able to find it. Uh, Pat, what are you hearing on Natalie
1: Poole? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the. The most, I guess most fans reacted mostly negative to it, I think, just because, I mean, you look at the overall record, 46% uh, percent winning percentage over uh, three different schools, Georgia Southern, McNeese, and Memphis. She has been to two regionals, one at Georgia Southern and one at McNeese, where she won the auto bid in those years. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's just um, a little – I mean, people were kind of hoping. and I think, you know, the rumors are that Chris Robinson might have had it lined up, the coach at uh, uh, Jones College – um, and he might have, you know, backed out at the last second, something like that. Who knows? But, yeah, I mean, a pool is a, um, you know, certainly experience of that. I think that's something that you look at some of these kind of Olympic sport hires that McLean has made, I think, experience, and just kind of knowing how the sausage is made, um, in a sense, just because having coached it on uh, Memphis, at Manish, you would have, you know, have recruited Mississippi, Louisiana, know the uh, kind of the travel circuit, the prep circuit. Right. In these parts, and I think it's a similar thing with volleyball. You kind of looked at Jenny Hazelwood; didn't have a super impressive record, but she had coached at um, Mississippi State, and she had been, I guess, with some kind of volleyball travel club or, or something like, it, or run some kind of volleyball facility in Jackson. So she, you know, has a lot of connections um, with kind of the high school travel ball um, circuit. So I think, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of my take. Is this certainly not a super, um, you know, flashy hire? Sure. Uh, but I guess if you're trying to find a silver lining, it's you know she has experience. She knows how to get players. Knows how to run a program. Yeah. So if you are looking for a positive, I think that would be the um, something I would say. And I guess you know you, people talk about well, you know I guess the pay. Um, you, you mean it's kind of you have limited resources? Do you pay more for a softball, but that takes away resources from you know other sport you can get a higher return of investment from. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, LeVan was making 80K. I had heard 90K was offered for the head coach position, which, I mean, that's a little bit of improvement. That puts you kind of closer to the middle of the Sun Belt. But you can kind of look at a program like Louisiana Lafayette. There's about a top 25 program. I mean, they pay 170K. I don't know if you <laughs> expect to pay that. And, you know, South Alabama is in the mid-100s, I believe, or mid to lower 100s. So, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, you get what you pay for, kind of. But how do you use those resources? And um, so I don't I don't know how all that's kind of decided the decisions they make on that but um, just to, I'm just I'm re- just rambling just everything I kind of think about this all behind it, it's not really tying it together <laughs> but uh, yeah that's just kind of my take on it. Sure, the- I, I think
0: that is that's sort of the general sentiment is you know you I think the main thing is you look at that record uh, 553 and 639 I mean it's not uh, not going to jump out you on a page but. I mean, you mentioned the fact that she's been in the region. She knows how to run a program. And uh, from, from everything that I have read and heard from people is that she is a player's coach. People love to play for her and to work under her when she is the head coach Members um, of her staff. And so there are things to to like about this hire. Um, you know, we'll come back in three or four years and, and see if, you know, it was uh, if you hit or if you missed, But uh, I think there are some things you like about this. There is existing talent on the roster um, that she will inherit. And uh, and I still feel like you could say you're sort of rebuilding, uh, particularly in, in her first year. And It feels like you've said that for a long time. But, yeah, I think things to be optimistic about uh, for the softball hire. Natalie Poole, I hope she uh, – hits the ground running and turns things around quickly at Southern Miss and get back to uh, competing to play in a regional every single year. Pat anything else in softball? I don't think that is it. All right, uh, one thing we got last week was uh we had, we had talked about sort of waiting for this 25 point. The 25, right?
1: 25 by 25 I think is what they call it That's or right. something like that.
0: A, a general plan for and out of the athletics department, uh, and, and it, was, it was more of a general plan. There were not a, a lot of specifics in there, but there are a few high points, Pat.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, I was kind of talking with uh, Bradley from Black and Gold Review about this, and he was just kind of saying, like, like, yeah, maybe this doesn't look like, oh, this is, it's not like saying, oh, we're going to definitely build uh, yeah. a, a new 6,500, uh, you know, seat basketball arena, by this time, but I mean, it's kind of, you just look at it, if they do, I mean, it's by 2025, so that's only three year, or less than three years yeah. away, so I mean, if you do some of these things by 2025, that, these would be good, uh, things, so, I mean, it's just kind of talking about, you know, get to 10,000, uh, football season ticket holders, 3,000 baseball, 1,500, um, uh, men's basketball, and the 500 for all the others, and it was just kind of talking about increasing EO club, circle of champions, but I guess the, the, um, um, most interesting and I guess talking about some of the facility things before we get to the naming rights thing but I was about updating and modernizing Reed Green and that's kind of the point Bradley was making is if you do update Reed Green by 2025 I think that would be a significant yeah. move I mean yeah. depending on how much it's upgraded but I think sure. you know I think with, uh, with the 1% tax and um, you know the other um, the um, give wing uh-huh. campaign I think you could see um, a pretty good dent in um, making Reed Green better but um, but yeah I guess the uh, it mentions building a new golf center uh, for men's and women's golf uh, move all facilities as feasible on the campus uh, to create a championship environment I think that's code word for saying maybe moving uh, soccer on the campus maybe moving I mean softball I would be the big one I think softball is the one that would really want to move on campus I mean I, the rumored spot would be the intramural fields um, and I think that that might have even been on a master plan from years ago is moving softball to intramural fields yep but yeah, just kind of moving everything on campus. Uh, but yeah, I guess the big thing was the naming rights for facilities. Uh-huh. And um, you know, kind of the uh, interpretation of the Mississippi law is that is not legal. You cannot you cannot name it after a or a corporation. You can name it after people, you know, Reed Green or Pete Taylor or whoever. Uh, but you cannot name it after a corporation. And you know, that's just another revenue stream, uh, especially for a school like Southern Miss. Uh, where, you know, you can sell it to you know whatever bank or whatever you know Southern Tire Mart. I'm just throwing at them because they're right. free free advertisement for them. Not that they, not the, not that the dumps need it. <laughs> yeah, their revenue um, is going to jump. After that. Yeah, but so I'm just thinking you know they're obviously big donors to the um, University Athletic yeah. Department. So you know Southern Tire Mart Arena or something. Um, but yeah, without giving too much away, I was just curious about it. So I was um, I was at a um, um, an ADP launch. Uh, McLean had spoken at. And yeah, I'm not going to you know say everything he said, but you know they basically. The gist of it is, they felt confident enough that they can um, secure naming rights for facilities and they put it in there. Right. So um, I, I don't know what that entails. It's kind of one of those those advertisements you see on the internet. One time, it's like one weird trick to <laughs> solve hair loss or something like that. <laughs> so I don't know what exactly, yeah. Um, you know, that entails, but they have a plan for it. So I think that that is exciting. Uh, the ability to sell facilities uh, or sell naming rights uh, for facility, another, um, just revenue stream, which you really need. It could be a way potentially to, potentially big
0: revenue stream
1: too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially if you're talking about just upgrading, read green, you know, whoever the sponsor, maybe they could pay some of that. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the thing that really jumped out uh, to me from that, that plan.
0: I, we have talked about this a couple of times and again, I, I keep, I keep forgetting which episodes we actually got to release and which ones, uh, we had to trash but speaking on the administration and just there's an agreed upon direction and there is consistency across the board I think in the vision of the athletics department and although we did not get they didn't release specifics to the public I I think Jeremy McLean has specific plan I don't think they would put this out if they did not feel that they could achieve these things and so it's just, even though, you know, some people were complaining a little bit, well, they didn't really say anything. Well, I think it's just another example of the fact that you have what you need in the higher administration spots. And obviously, you know, you are, you have an interim president, um, the best possible interim president I think you could have, a Joe Paul and so that's a little bit up in the air of, of who you hire as president. But I think you you have to feel really good about the direction, that, particularly in the athletics administration, uh, that they are taking. And it's, I mean, it's it's aggressive. It is, you know, they're, they are, uh, you know, they want to be in the top half, top third, competitively, resource-wise, facilities-wise, in the new conference. Uh, I think that's really encouraging and hopefully will carry some momentum in, into uh com- into success on the field, I mean, it, it works both ways. It's push and pull, but I think uh, I think
1: you're excited about the foundation that you see, and I think this is just another example of that. Yeah, and we've talked about you know alignment and just everybody from the president on down to the coaches having the same vision, and I think that is um, I think that's something. Right now, you see, you know, we just talked about the example of Hobson where you did not have that alignment; everybody was just kind of on the on a different page, I think. You know, I mean, it is kind of one of the buzzwords, you know, like with culture and alignment. But I think right now you do have a good culture within the athletic department. You do yeah. have a good alignment. Uh, where in the past, you know, like we were saying a couple of years ago, you maybe didn't have that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think they, uh, the plan was a positive. I think there's, there's kind of been rumors maybe of the releasing like a facility master plan later on. I don't know if there would be a date on that or if that's something that would even happen. But um, that would be another thing to look for. I think that would really... Um, kind of tell you what they're um, thinking just in terms of what they want to do with uh, Reed Green and then maybe talk yourself on softball and soccer and some of those other facilities. So. Uh-huh.
0: Well, one thing that we absolutely have to talk about, we talked about it uh, last week, that uh, episode did not release, but uh, there is never a bad time to remember. Uh, you know, you talk about vision and where we're going to be as an athletics program. Lost uh, Corky Palmer two weeks ago, and I mean, you talk about all those things. He is one of the men who built this place into what it is, and was what Southern Miss was, uh, was synonymous with Southern Miss baseball, and just Hattiesburg in general. One of the best uh, to ever do it. Universally beloved in Hattiesburg and Southern Miss, and I mean, you pointed it out. You you can't say that just about say that about just a lot of people. Right. But the kind of person he was, who he was on the baseball diamond and in the community, uh, Corky Palmer is an easy one uh, to remember to honor. And we certainly feel for his his family. Um, I I had the pleasure of getting to be around him a little bit at Pete Taylor Park, uh, growing up going to baseball games. After he retired, he would always. Go out of his way uh, to talk to my dad, who he knew, my granddad, and uh, ended up knowing our names. You know, I was just a little punk kid, and he would always love talking to me, and just the kindest person, uh, get easy person to remember and celebrate. Uh, One of the best to to ever be associated with Southern Miss. I
1: don't think that's an overstatement, Pat. Absolutely, and I think you know, you kind of talk about we talk about Southern Miss guys, and it's kind of a meme. Uh, at this point, but when you talk about like Southern Miss guys, I mean he checks off every box yes. of Southern Miss guys yes. um, that you could have. You know, from Hattiesburg, played at Southern Miss was assistant coach of Southern Miss, and eventually head coach Southern Miss. Uh, yeah, eventually culminating in that trip to Omaha. So yeah, I mean he's just kind of one of the institutions. Southern Miss, one of the institutions of Hattiesburg, and yeah, it was just um, really sad to see him pass. And uh, but yeah, I guess it, it was cool to see the outpouring of support from everybody. You know, we saw the two lane baseball account, and I think all of the all the big uh, college baseball writers um, are talking about it or, you know, kind of memorializing it with Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fit, and Mark Etheridge and some of the coaches like Mike Bianco, John Cohen. Uh-huh. Um, so that was, that was all kind of cool to see. And it's just kind of – another thing about Corky is um, it's just kind of interesting or just kind of funny the, the way we kind of remember places and we associate it with him. we talk talking about just like, you know, when he died, people were talking about, oh, Popo Express and Lenny's and – it just kind of uh, kind of shows you the impact you had that you associate yeah. these places uh, with Corky. Just kind of a nice thing to remember in those places.
0: Rick Cleveland also did a great yes. great article uh, per usual. So if, if you have not read Rick Cleveland's article remembering Corky Palmer, I will I'll either link that in the episode description. Actually, I'll do both. I'll do the I'll link that in the episode description. I don't think Rick would mind, and uh, I will also I will uh, I'll tweet that under where uh, we tweet out the episode. So be sure to go go check that out. Uh, great piece from Rick. Uh, remembering Corky Palmer. Again, easy to remember. Rest in peace to one of the greats. Corky Palmer, don't think there's any better way to end the episode. We will be back next week, and it will be football season officially, Patrick. We will dive all the way into the Liberty Flames talk about what uh, what to expect what to look for how that one is shaping up we're very excited to get into that Pat anything else before we close it out uh, I think that is it that is Patrick McGee my name is Ben Mile. this has been another episode of Buzzardry brought to you by BigGoldNation.com hope to have you with us next week This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzard Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.